Section 48 of A Minor War History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. A Minor War History by Martin Alonzo Haynes. Letter 130. Point Lookout, Maryland. January 29, 1864. Busy time now, putting up the new tents, and when the work is done, the regiment will certainly have good winter quarters. The fine weather continues. It is as warm and pleasant as a New Hampshire May, and the breezes from the south are balmy and exhilarating. Day before yesterday, we witnessed a magnificent mirage, which brought the eastern shore, distant twenty-five or thirty miles across the bay, to within an apparent distance of not more than five miles. The optical illusion continued until afternoon, when it faded gradually. The trees and houses became less and less distinct, and at last the outlines of the shore faded, until nothing met the eye but the sparkling waters of Chesapeake Bay. The story is going the rounds that we old fellows who have not re-enlisted are to be discharged next month, so that we may be home for the March election. There may be something in this, as nine-tenths of the old men are staunch Republicans, and most of the others are staunch war Democrats, which is just as good, and if the election is to be very close, they would be a mighty reliable reinforcement. One of the boys in my company has a letter from one of the governor's staff, who writes that we are coming home in February, and Marston's assistant, adjutant general, says we are going home soon. Sunday, January 31st. Dan has moved into one of the new Sibley tents, leaving me all alone in solitary grandeur, and I declare I am lonesome. Large numbers of the Rebs here have taken the oath and enlisted into our army or navy. Day before yesterday, officers of the navy came ashore and had all they could attend to until late in the evening enlisting these men. A regiment also is to be recruited from them, which will probably be stationed where there is not much danger of their being taken prisoners as in such an event, if recognized, they would be promptly executed. Jess Dewey has got a pleasant job as forage master at Leonardstown, a few miles above here on the river. I am told that the paymaster came down on the boat last night and has gone up to Leonardstown today to pay off the cavalry and other troops up there. The men who have re-enlisted will go home on furlough as soon as they are paid. The laugh is most decidedly on one of our fellows, who, tiring of army fare, went out into the country to get a good square home meal. He found a place where they expressed their ability and willingness to give him just what he was looking for. He, of course, expected a rare feast. And what do you suppose he got? Bacon and hoe cake, coffee without milk, no butter nor any of the other little trimmings that round out a Yankee home meal. He came back to camp thoroughly disgusted with the Maryland farmer's bill of fare and filled the aching void with a good square army ration. 
the joke on another fellow came through a massive gold pen which was given to him on condition that he send and have it repointed in a few days a pen came back with this endorsement your pen is brass and i return pen and money one of the fifth substitutes was found drowned in the creek the other day he probably tried to desert by swimming the creek but could not make a go of it end of letter one thirty letter one thirty one point lookout maryland february seventh eighteen sixty four i have moved into my new tent at last and have a mighty home-like little domicile all to myself it has a good floor and a nice roomy bunk at the head of the bunk a little table equipped with writing materials on one side of the door is my drop letter box and in the opposite corner one of those cute little sheet iron stoves and other furnishings will come as they may be required i already have my boxes arranged for distributing the mail ten cigar boxes one for each company nailed to the wall by the time i am discharged i will have an office that will rival boston and new york i got a letter last night from an old schoolmate of mine lucius chilson he was my especial chum in the old south grammar school on park street his home was then in bridgeport connecticut but his father sent him to manchester especially to get him under webster's iron discipline he writes me that he has been in the second massachusetts regiment that he was wounded in the wrist at gettysburg losing the use of his right hand and is now in the invalid corps at cincinnati ohio he has learned to write with his left hand and is a first-class backhand writer rumors of our going home are flying thick as ever the latest is that all who desired would be granted a furlough of fifteen days to go home and vote mrs bailey mrs platt mrs wassley and other officers wives are coming down within two or three weeks and quarters are being fitted up in anticipation a little mail robbery came to light in a queer manner today a fellow who used to have the run of my tent down in the company gave away a cheap little brass breastpin the recipient recognized it at sight as the identical pin he had some time before sealed in an envelope for one of the men and addressed and mailed it to that man's little girl the thief purloined it from the box and was caught in a trap which nobody set for nobody the old boys of company one are to present colonel bailey with a costly sword the little remnant still left of the old abbot guard the boys of eighteen sixty one have chipped in a hundred fifty dollars and jess dewey and steve smiley have gone to baltimore to buy the sword the breach between captain gordon and the old men is now very wide and the feeling very bitter and this sword business is in some degree an outcome of the feud in this way the old men can show in a way not open to criticism how much more they think of their first captain than of their last in addition to this somebody has put the subs up to get a sword for our second lieutenant dave perkins 
they have more money than they know how to spend, and you can work a collection on them for almost anything. With a sword presentation on each side of him, I don't see how a more adroit snub could have been arranged. I see Bill Ramsdell's fine Italian hand in the whole thing. The sword presentation record would not be complete without the story of the exploit of one of the subs who sailed under the name of Caddy. He made himself conspicuous in denouncing the old men for slighting their captain. He solicited contributions from his fellow subs for a sword for Gordon which you may be sure Gordon was fully advised of. Then he asked Gordon for a furlough of five days to attend a little private matter at Baltimore. He got his furlough, and that was the last ever seen of him in that regiment. But Gordon holds one trump card, and he's playing it for all it's worth. He has been making corporals of some of the last batch of bounty jumpers actually putting these men in authority and position over the old fellows who have given nearly three years of faithful service to their country. I, on my special detail, am out from under it. If not, I think I should find some honorable way out, perhaps through a commission in a Negro regiment. On the night of the first day of this month, one of Gordon's new corporals was in charge of a squad of four men at the wharf. There were several boats there in their charge, and the corporal and his entire squad, with others to whom the word evidently passed, made off with one of the boats during the night. Two days after, another squad of three deserters was brought in, having been picked up by one of the guard boats many miles down the bay. It was a very cold, rough night, and one of the bounty jumpers had done a really good service to the country by freezing to death, while his two companions were unfortunately still alive. End of Letter 131 Letter 132 Point Lookout, Maryland February 10th, 1864 Bill Ramsdell has just gone out of his tent. He's to make the presentation speech when we give Bailey the sword. He has been rehearsing what he's going to say, and it is tip-top, quite ornate and complimentary. Friday, February 12th. The steamer, Wilden, is lying out in the river a little ways from shore. It being so rough, she cannot get into the wharf. Colonel Bailey's wife and mother and several officers' wives are on board, and doubtless very anxious to get ashore. The going-home fever is on the increase, and the betting population are putting up their money freely that we will be home at the March election. I hear a bet of $50 was made this morning, but whether wind or money, I don't know. Saturday, February 13th. I received several letters yesterday and today, including a note from Mother, sent by the hands of Mrs. Captain Platt, was one of the arrivals yesterday. Colonel Bailey's sword was presented yesterday, and everything passed off slick as a pin. Three more of our subs attempted to desert the other night. They set out in a dugout canoe, the handling of which they were not equal to, 
and pretty soon over she went. Two unfortunately managed to reach the shore, the other was drowned. Our deserting subs are really having hard luck. Three are known to have been drowned, and it is hoped the same fate has overtaken the gang Gordon's new corporal took off with him, as their boat was picked up, far out in the bay and bottom side up. Uncle Luther's folks, Luther Trussell of New London, New Hampshire, write me that Hamilton Messer, one of my boyhood cronies, who went out in the 11th, is dead. It is one of the pleasantest days imaginable, and I am sitting with the door of my tent wide open, looking out upon the camp, where all is bustle and activity, some wheeling sand to grade the company's streets, some building houses for the officers, and little groups here and there chatting, gossiping, and arguing. Captain and Mrs. Platt just rode by on horseback. End of section 48. Recording by John Brandon.